Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined once again by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is finally taking a much-needed break, but of course we are not. We are back at it again this week with interviews for fighters who've got fights coming up, as well as our famed Combat Countdown back at it this week. So first, I'm going to be talking to Mike Grundy as he gets ready for his fight on Fight Island on January 16th, as well as Christian Aguilera, who is fighting on that same exact card. So I'll be talking to both of those guys as they get ready for their respective fights. And then me and Shockwave Dave are going to count down our three fights that we want to see the most in 2021. There are a lot of fun matchups with people moving up divisions, down divisions, sideways divisions, all kinds of things. We're going to be breaking down what three we want to see the absolute most in 2021 if we had our way, and you're going to want to make sure to tune into that. But before you do, I need to mention that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by ProPace Advanced or Sports Metrics. ProPace is from the creator of Grapple App, the jiu-jitsu game, which you should also download onto your phone. ProPace is, of course, a new Android app designed to measure and drive the improvement of your striking performance. Their flagship feature, the Striking Clinic, uses your phone's microphone to detect kicks, punches, and drives up your work rate using beeping that you can adjust whether or not you'd like it faster or slower, and then gives you graphs and charts and all kinds of interesting information so that you can measure how you're doing and make those improvements. Of course, you can also share all of that information on Twitter and social media, challenge your friends to beat your score, and so much more. So make sure to download ProPay Sports Metrics in the App Store. ProPace Sports Metrics brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Mike Grundy, who fights Nick Lentz on Fight Island January 16th. So, Mike, I wanted to start by talking about your last fight. Obviously, not the outcome you were looking for, but it's your first loss in over five years. You obviously get a little bit of time to reflect on it. Looking back, what's sort of your takeaways from, from your first setback in the UFC? I mean, we've, the good thing about it is, you know, we've, we've had a chance to come back and work on our mistakes, really. You know, obviously I was a tough competitor and, you know, he's a great fighter. I think he'll do, I think he'll do well in the UFC. But yeah, he's, um, he's definitely spurred me on a little bit more with a bit of a fire in my belly. And, you know, I mean, there's not many people who train as hard as I do. Um, so I can't really train too, too, hard, too much harder than I do already. But I've definitely worked on some, some minor mistakes that I made in the fight. So that, that's a positive plus side. But yeah, it was, it was a uh, pill to swallow. The fact that I've um, obviously been on a five-year and a ten-fight winning streak just before that. For sure, and you said it lit a fire underneath you. Now I'm curious because it's been about six months since you fought. Was there a reason for the layoff, or or would you have liked to get back in there sooner than January? Well, I, I, I brought my jaw in the mobster fight. I brought my jaw in the first round, um, which needed operating on, so I needed a good three months for that to repair. So that that was the reason why I had so much time. But I was training straight away, you know, I was running and doing pads and stuff, but no contact. I couldn't do any contact for, for three months. 
Yeah, but yeah, I still would have been, I still would have liked to have been in December, even end of November, really. But you know, they, they, they brought it up to for me to fight in January, and like I say, I'm, I'm I'm good to go. I'm excited to fight, really. For sure, for sure. Now, I, I'm sure you know. Obviously, like you said, you were able to train a little bit with the striking mostly and with the cardio. Is that would you say that that's beneficial for you, being as you have such like a strong wrestling background already that you get to work on? You know, not the areas that are weakest, but but definitely not your like number one strong suit. Yeah, it's been great. You know, like I say, it's it's, um, it's been good to to work on. It is my it is my weakness, which is my striking. But like you said, by all means, it's not it's not weak. But it's definitely a certain area that I, I needed to work on, and I have I've sharpened a few things, and, and you know, I'm excited to show them off in in the fight, really. Yeah, and let's talk about that fight a little bit. So you you come off of that loss with Monsari Abdullah, obviously not real happy about it, but then you get offered a pretty big name in a guy named, you know, Nick Lentz. The guy's been fighting in the UFC for, it seems like, 100 years. What were sort of your thoughts when the UFC dropped that name in front of you? Yeah, well, I was just, I was just walking out to training, and um, my coach said, I just got an email, you know, about your fight and stuff, and I said, oh, who is it? And, you know, and he, and he obviously said, well, he showed me it was Nick Lentz's name, which I thought, you know, was great and surprising because I'm coming off a loss. And Nick Lentz is obviously a big name in the UFC, in the featherweight division. And, you know, he's, he's been against some of the top guys in the divisions. You know, I think he's fought Charles Oliveira, who put a great performance on at the weekend. He's fought him twice, three times even. So, yeah, I think it does a lot for my name when I beat him. I don't know how much it'll push me up the ranks. But yeah, when, when I seen that name, I thought that's great. You know, I mean, they're, they're the fights I want. I want to get up there and beat these these ice old names. For sure, and and I'm interested too about the stylistic matchup here too, because Nick Lentz is a guy who's got a ton of submissions on his record. He's a D1 American wrestler. It seems like the UFC keeps sort of matching you up with that profile, right? The guy who's got like a good wrestling or a good grappling background and likes to stuff takedowns like that, and he's got good submissions. You know, you had Nad Naramani, you had you know, then Evloev and, and now Lentz. Is, is it frustrating that they keep giving you a guy seemingly with a very similar profile? Or or do you sort of like that that style to go up against? I don't mind, to be honest, who, who the UFC give me. Obviously, I mean, if you're in the UFC, you got to be prepared to fight everyone. And I feel I am. But yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be nice to maybe get a striker at some time. And, you know, it'd be a different, it'd be a different contest, obviously. But, you know, I don't mind fighting the wrestlers and... I feel that I'm proving that, you know, UK has got a good wrestler inside inside of them really as well. Because so I'm I'm, be- I'm I'm beating these guys to the takedown, or I'm defending the takedowns. So um, you know, it shows off good wrestling in UK as well. For sure, and you definitely represent the UK with wrestling better than maybe anybody in the past has. I- I'm curious too about the submission aspect of the game too, because you're not just a wrestler. You know, people people look back at your career, you see the Commonwealth Games, all that stuff. But you got eight submissions on your record too, and and that's I mean that's seventy five percent of your wins. You're submitting guys. What, what do you think about the the jujitsu matchup here between you and Nick Lentz, a guy who also has eight submissions on his record? Yeah, I think it looks like stylistically. I think it's a great fight. You know, we could we could have a good good grappling match, a few scrambles, or we could end up you know not not even bothering looking for the takedown each other and um, and looking to knock each other out. So. It's um, those kind of matches that, you know, they end up being entertaining. For sure, for sure. Now, I, I, before I let you go, I am going to ask you for a prediction. How do you see this one ending against Nick Lentz? 
Well, yeah, I want to, you know, since coming off a loss, I want to make a statement. Nick Lentz is not an easy guy to finish, but I feel I'm going to finish him. All right, well, we're looking forward to that. Now, before I do let you go, too, I do have one more question. So we're getting ready for the new year here. For as far as your 2021, picture-perfect 2021, what do you expect to see during this year? I want to try and get four, at least four fights in. I want to try and, um, yeah, I want to be... I want to be looking for these pullouts. There's any pullouts, you know, I want to, I want to be jumping in and getting them because I'm a guy who fights. I'm a guy who trains all year round. And, you know, I don't want that to go to waste. I'm always fit. I'm always ready. So I want to be jumping in, even if there's any last-minute fights. Well, well, we hope you get those four fights because we'd love to see it that many times. But first, of course, we're going to start it off with Nick Lentz, who you fight on Fight Island January 16th. Mike Grundy, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me on, mate. Thank you. And that interview with Mike Grundy is brought to you by Respect the Tap. RespectTheTap.com is a passionate company about BJJ and combat sports, but not just about BJJ and combat sports, but also about style and fashion. They find a way to bring those two loves together because they're a fashion-forward lifestyle brand that sort of bucks the trends that those other lifestyle brands of MMA companies have have had in the past where everything's got a skull and a dragon and a sword on it. Instead, they embody the peace, honor, inner strength, and respect that are inherent in martial arts. I'm currently rocking one of their snapbacks right now. They've got them in all different kinds of colors. And and let me tell you something. They're they're either really plain. You can get them really simple. You can also get them really fashion-forward or lots of pops of color. They've got camo ones. Check out their whole line and check out not just their hats, but everything at respectthetap.com. All right, and joining me now is Christian Aguilera, who fights Warley Alves on Fight Island January 16th. So, Christian, I'm going to start you off here. I was doing a little bit of homework heading into this fight, and I wanted to ask, because it says you have a 10th planet brown belt, and I'm looking at your record, and you got no submission victories, so you got to explain to this jujitsu nerd what that's all about. Uh, I always plan on using my jiu-jitsu. It just never gets that far. Like, uh, usually it ends up I stop the takedowns. I'm having success on the feed, so we just keep it there. But I think I, I punched – I was ground and pounding a guy one time, and he tapped out, so I count that as a submission. <laughs> so so your only submission being a brown belt in, like, a, a famed system is is punches. Is, is that weird to you at all? No, uh, it's more my style. Like, I'm an aggressive style. I like to be flashy. I like to be exciting. So if it goes to the floor, like, I'm sure, like, we could game there. That's fine, too. But I prefer standing. I like boxing. Like, it's more fun for me. I like it. So uh, let's talk about the opponent, too, because Worley Alves, like you said, it, it would be a fun fight on, to see you guys on the ground. I'd love to see your jiu-jitsu skills. He's got a ton of guillotines on his record. Do you see him trying to take it that place? Do you think he's going to try to wrestle you up, get to the ground? I'm sure he will. Um, if you watch my last fight, he saw me get taken down. He saw me get submitted. So that seems to be like uh, his biggest chance of success there. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Now, I, I got to ask, too, because you, you mentioned the, the submission loss that you're coming back from. Obviously, it's your first loss in the UFC, although you've got you know a pretty long career, which we're going to talk about, too. How do you build from this? It, obviously, it being one of the more devastating losses in your career, being at the highest level, what was your sort of takeaways from that fight? Um, it just shows where we need to put more emphasis. So we started working on the submission defense more. We started working on the jujitsu more. 
more game planning, uh, working on my weaknesses more than my strengths, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, just patching the holes. That's all we can do every time we lose, learn from what we lost from and try to get better. Absolutely. And and I know that this is a tough question for a lot of people right now, but, you know, you're coming off that submission loss. Obviously, you started your career with that ex- exciting KO. With, with all this talk about more cuts happening in the UFC, do you feel extra pressure to put on, like, a show in this upcoming fight? No. Um, if I fight my fight, I'm naturally exciting. Like it's nothing like a – I don't feel any pressure. I just feel like I'm going to do the best version of me, and that's exciting. Uh, it's exciting for people to watch. It's exciting for me to do, and I'm sure people like to watch it. And, and to what do you attribute that, like, natural excitement in your fighting style? Because obviously, you know, like you said, there, there's a little bit of aggression in you that's naturally built into you. But also it seems like everybody who comes out of Team Oyama – has a lot of that, right? Like Alex Perez and Marlon Vera and Frank Camacho and Luis Smolka. Like, all of those guys are never in boring fights. Is it something in the water in that gym? Uh, It's a level of competition in the gym. It makes everyone rise up. So, like, uh, if you're training with shitty dudes, you're going to be shitty. If you're training with some of the best dudes in the world, you're going to become one of the best dudes in the world. So it's just a natural evolution of the gym. I'm training there. I'm training at Classic. I'm training at Raw Talent. Like, I'm all over the place getting to work in. So, yeah, all our gym is building us up. And, and I hear I hear that a lot more, too, out of fighters nowadays, that they're, they're moving their training around. They're getting more specialized training in different places. What sort of led to that for you? Like, was that always the way that you trained, or is this something that, that evolved over time? No, that's kind of uh, what I've always done. I was training at... Yeah, I was training at Classic. I was always training at Raw Talent. I was training at 10th Planet before. Now I'm at One Jiu-Jitsu with Jiva. So, um, and then I was at Oyama's. I've only been there for like, I think, four or five years. So uh, it's been a while, but it hasn't been as long as I've been at the other places. So it's just always been like my style. I go to where the best dudes are and try and learn from them. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, you said it, it wasn't that long. Being that it's five years, in the grand scheme of your career, that's not that long, right? Because... Despite the fact that you're not even 30 years old yet, you, you've been in the fight game for damn near a decade at this point. What is it like looking back at the fact that you have, even at this young age, like a laundry list of fights in like a crazy career already? It's cool, man. It's fun to look back, but, you know, it is like a, you can't look backwards too long. got to keep focusing on the forward. So it's cool, but it's still like a, MMA is really a game of what have you done for me lately. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, cool. I've had all these good experiences. I have a lot of experience. I've had been lives, but I just got to perform well the next fight. That's what people are going to remember. All people remember right now is my last fight. So, cool. Next fight we go out, we give them something better to remember. We keep improving. We keep coming back. No big deal. I, I like that mentality. But unfortunately, I am going to ask you one more question about that the, that pass, though. Because, like, like I said, you got into pro MMA at, like, 21 years old. You were fighting amateur even earlier than that. What sort of brought you to MMA at such a uh, young age and kept you active enough that you have this many fights after, you know, like I said, a decade in the game? Man, um, so I used to play hockey for like 10 years growing up. I played hockey. I went to a school in New York to play hockey. And um, once I graduated high school, like it just didn't work out for hockey. So I was looking for the next thing. My friend invited me to go try out a cardio kickboxing class and I walked in. And I just seen everyone, like the people hitting the bags, the people sparring, the people doing jujitsu. And I'm like, 
fuck, dude, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And then I just never left the gym from there. So that was the biggest thing, just, like, walking in, seeing the experience, seeing all the dudes. Like, I was was a big fan of Ultimate Fighter. I was a big fan of, like, watching it. But to being in a place where it's actually, like, happening and seeing it firsthand, I was like, fuck, dude, I need to do this. I want to do this. And then, yeah, just from there, like, uh, I don't know, once again, like, it's a training thing. If I train with really good guys, I need to get better because I don't like getting beat up. I don't like losing. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm getting beat up every day or getting, like, losing in the gym, I have to raise my level. And that's just constant pursuit of like fuck dude i can't get caught in this i can't get beat by this i can't do that it raises my uh raises me up and like that constant pursuit of being the perfect that's still what i'm chasing 10 years later i'm still working on it you know i i like that now i'm curious too because you know i've heard people say that they're motivated by this or motivated by that is the motivation for you the idea of not being perfect or is the motivation to for you you know, you want to erase those imperfections or is the motivation for you something else? Uh, I don't know. I'm naturally competitive and I like fighting. That's like before anything. I like to fight. I love this. I love like beating people up. I like, uh, yeah, I love winning. I like knocking people out clearly. So like, that's my biggest thing. I just love doing it. So I'm going to try and do it the best I can. I'm trying to do it till it's perfect. I'm trying to do it till I can't be beat. And that's why I'm in the gym every day. That's why I'm in, yeah. And I started late, like uh, you said. I started 18, trying to learn how to fight, learn how to do everything. So I always feel a little bit like I'm playing catch-up. Like, I know it's been 10 years. I know it's been a while, but I still feel like, fuck, there's something I don't know. There's something I don't know, and I want to know it. I love the mentality. Well, you know, you've mentioned that you think this fight is going to be one of those ones that's super exciting if you, you get to use your style. You've talked about erasing people's memory of that loss. I, I got to ask you for a prediction now that we're just about at the end. How do you see this one going down on January 16th? Whew, um, I'm definitely going to do my best to knock him out for sure. I want to finish the fight. I want to finish it within the time. So, yeah, I'm going to be swinging. He's going to be swinging. We're going to see what happens. All right. Well, we certainly can't wait to see it. Once again, fans, this is Christian Aguilera who fights Warley Alves at Fight Island on January 16th. Christian, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Christian Aguilera and Mike Grundy. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. I know you had picked Wonder Boy to win, but I got to ask you, just how surprised were you with how dominant he looked this last weekend? That's a great question, Gumby. I guess I was mildly surprised at how dominant, but... In the overall scheme of things, in the grand scheme, as they say, it's fucking Wonder Boy. He's a tough puzzle to figure out. And if you can't figure it out, those are the kind of performances you see where he looks absolutely dominant because the guy's like, oh, my God, this is nothing like what I prepared for. Yeah, I guess that that, that's true, right? Like when he looks good, he looks so fucking good, right? Like that's the thing about Wonder Boy. Is that like he doesn't eke out wins. When people can't figure him out, he wins. And when people can figure him out, he doesn't. Which I guess is why he looked that way against Jeff Neal and Vicente Luque back to back there. Which it's been a while since we've seen him. Vicente Luque was like over a year ago at this point. Um, But yeah, like Jorge Masvidal, I guess the same thing. He he couldn't figure him out. Looked real crappy against him. Um, Maybe I'm I'm just, I was overhyped on the prospect Jeff Neal, but... I thought Jeff Neal would have a way of at least getting within 10 feet of him at some point. It seemed like he couldn't, um, which, I, again, it, it's that stance of Wonder Boy. I have this question for you, and I've mentioned it to a couple of other people. 
Wonder Boy, while a lot of people wrote him off after losing back-to-back to Darren Till, who later went on the middleweight, and Anthony Pettis, who, uh, I, I'm, well, let's call a spade a spade. I think that knockout was a fluke, um, and you can, you can disagree with me if you want on that. But after those two losses back-to-back, people kind of wrote him off. I actually think his stylistic matchup is a nightmare for some of those wrestlers of the division. What do you think about him against a guy like Colby or like Kamara Usman? I get more of the sense that they would press, be able to press him up against the cage, negate some of the sideway, going backwards, karate-style sniping that he is known to do. I want to see it. It's that kind of Rubik's Cube puzzle that makes MMA so great is how will these two chemicals react to each other in the lab. But my money would still be on the Camaro Kobe side. Are you leaning the other way, I take it? I, I am definitely – I think you're right about Usman. I think Usman would back him up because he's got big power, and I like the way he cuts angles better than I like Colby doing that. Colby let, mostly backs people up with, like, like stupid spam volume. You know, like, not that, not that he doesn't hit people or he doesn't p- hit people hard, but, like – it's not the same as when Usman hits you and breaks your fucking jaw, right? Like, Colby landed 280 shots on uh, Robbie Lawler or something like that and didn't so much as wobble him once. So, you know, that kind of volume, I don't know that that kind of, like, you know, jab-jab, pitter-patter volume works on somebody like Wonderboy. Again, I'd love to see it, and I'd love to see if it backs him up enough that Colby could get the wrestling going. But I at least have more faith in, in Wonderboy stopping that. I don't have faith in, in Wonderboy stopping Usman. I think in order to stop Usman, you're going to have to get somebody who can grapple with him, which, you know, we actually might be getting sometime in 2021. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think those two wrestlers have the edge, but, but it's a puzzle I'm interested in. Well, we might hear more about potential Wonderboy matchups in our next segment, which is, Really, one of our favorite segments on the show. Well, tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's Combat Countdown. We're going to do a fun countdown list of our most wanted matches for 2021. Now, normally you might be saying to yourself, I thought you guys always do Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, your true favorite segment on the show. And obviously, we'd love to bring you a Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week. We love giving out our gambling advice, but there are no UFC fights for close to three weeks. We're all going to be in withdrawals, but we got you covered because we're going to do a little fantasy booking, Shockwave Dave and Gumby are, with our most wanted fights for this combat countdown. But Gumby, before we get to this week's combat countdown, one may wonder if any great company sponsors this edition of Combat Countdown. Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. So whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter. Log any of the 30-plus martial arts they've got on the app into your training sessions, tag their techniques, and make sure that you're making the progress you want to make. Plus, you can get their premium version of their app for free now on Maroon Social by using promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, and you can download that wherever it is you download apps. All right. We're going to go with the format of our uh, top three most wanted fights for 2021. We tried to keep it somewhat realistic, folks, okay? I didn't say, yeah, I want Fedor versus Francis Naganu because one, that would be a live murder on television, and two, 
Fedor is not in the UFC nor coming to the UFC. So we tried to keep it somewhat realistic, but these are still fantasy matchmaker. It's fantasy matchmaking, armchair bookering, if you will. Uh, and we'll count it down from three to one being our most excited. So Gumby, let's start with your number three. So, you know, we'll, we'll pump up the volume as we get to one, our most anticipated. But what's your number three? Okay, and for, for those of you listening at home, too, some of these fights may have already been booked or other ones we might want to see booked. And, and like Dave said, within realistic expectations here. For number one, I'm going to go off the board in a way that you might not have expected. I'm actually, Wait, you mean for number, or for number, number three? Number three. three, you mean. Number three. For number three, I'm going to go off the board and I'm going to take one that might be a little bit under the radar because we don't typically talk too much about Bellator on this show, but I'm going to throw a Bellator fight out there first. I want to see Anthony Rumble Johnson fight Yoel Romero at 205 pounds in Bellator in the muscliest matchup that's ever happened in mankind. I think it's fun. Uh, What do you think would happen? Because to me... I think if Rumble doesn't knock him out within the first minute, which I feel like Yoel is actually a competent enough boxer to avoid, I think Yoel might just fucking outpoint him for three rounds. What do you think? I, I think maybe it's interesting because, like, Yoel at times is, is hyper-aggressive, right? Like, when you watch him fight Ryan Bader, he throws a crazy-ass flying knee, right? But when you watch him fight Israel Adesanya, he looks scared out of his wits and didn't do anything. Uh, and not that I Adesanya did a ton either, but, like, it would be interesting to see what kind of fight that, and this is why I want it, too, is what kind of fight would Rumble draw him into? Would Rumble draw him into a slugfest? You know, Rumble has a tendency to get people to do that kind of thing, even though he's dangerous. You know, like, even Glover Teixeira threw down with him for a while, and, like, we don't think of Glover as being this brilliant boxer, but at some point in time, he, for some reason, thought it was a good idea to throw down with Rumble, which, I mean, must speak to it, you know, like what Rumble can do. The, the other interesting aspect to me, too, is we just have not seen Rumble for so long. You know, he's obviously been out due to half of a retirement. He's been working on his his weed organiza- or his weed company. We've, he's been working on, you know, some court cases that obviously are, are fairly nefarious. So there, he's, he's got all kinds of stuff that's been going on behind the scenes. I have no idea if he would come in you know, looking like Fat Rampage did, or if he would come in looking, you know, cut as hell at 205. We've seen pictures of him looking like he couldn't weigh less than 300 pounds of raw muscle. I'm not even sure he would make 205. But man, like, just knowing that they're like two of the most powerful fighters we've seen, right? Like, if we're just talking in terms of pure power, they're two of the more powerful guys we've ever seen. Now they're in the same organization in the same weight class, even if it's not the UFC, even if that's a weird run-back fight that we're talking about for, you know, slightly older guys, I'm still here for it. I'm still interested in what that looks like. All right. Not going to contest you on it. I do think it's fun as hell, and you know I'd watch every second of it. I'm going to go, you speak about power. I'm going with a smaller weight class, but someone that packs a lot of power, and maybe you'll call this boring and, like, the easy thing to say, but the first fight I'm going to talk about I want to see Connor versus Charles Oliveira, and here's why. Connor's last two fights, including Poirier, which is about to happen, I, they don't really thrill me. I've already seen him fight Poirier. Poirier, to me at this point in time, is a very complete mixed martial artist, someone who's like 
a seven across the board at striking, at grappling, at submissions, but he's not really a 10 anywhere. I don't think he presents that unique a challenge to Connor. The Cowboy Cerrone fight was non-competitive. And if we're going to get any more value out of Connor, and I know he brings a certain value just in his name, he could fight whoever, you know, 55th ranked 155 pounder, and it's going to get eyeballs. But if we're going to get real value and press Connor to his limits, which also, side note, I don't know that that's really what he wants at this point in his career and maybe why the Cowboy Cerrone fight and the Poirier fight have happened. But to me, as an MMA fan and all the unique intangibles that Connor brings to the table, his strengths, his weaknesses, I want to see him against someone who I think is actually peaking right now, and that's Charles Oliveira. And if I have to cheat, and let's just say you don't want it to be Oliveira because the submission game and even as a wrestling, which looks so good recently, if you just want to see him against a really comparable striker, then let's see him versus Justin Gaethje, and let's go to fucking war. I would love to see that fight. What do you think? I, I want to go back to some of those things you were saying about uh, Oliveira because I, I do think him versus Connor is interesting, but I also think when I was making this list, I had him versus like seven different people on here at some point in time. Like I had him, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to see him fight Justin Gaethje. I, wa- I actually want to see him fight Habib, right? Like yeah. one of the cool things he did so far was when people try to take him down, he chokes him, right? Like Kevin Lee tried to take him down, got guillotine choked. Uh, you know, other people have been choked by him recently. You know, he, he choked out Jim Miller. He guillotined Clay Guida. Like, the guy's got a great grappling game. So I, I would love to see him with Habib. I'd love to see him with Gaethje. I'd love to see him with, you know, we just saw him with Tony Ferguson, Connor. Hell, I'd watch him fight Poye. Like, him versus all of these top guys, especially now that he's beaten Tony Ferguson, I think are just so interesting. But to your point, yeah, seeing Connor's limits tested would be much more interesting for me. Who knows? Maybe we do get that out of Poye, but I, I definitely agree with you. He he feels like a, like a seven across the board, and that's why he's a top five ranked lightweight, and that's why he's a former interim champion. But at the same time, yeah, I, I want to see where we can stretch what Connor's skills are. Because, I mean, when, when he's been out this long and we've seen so little of him, like it's natural to want to see more. Yeah, and that's exactly the point I was making. You're picking up my vibe, which is like, yeah, Poirier could actually put in a great performance against him. But to me, there's this upper echelon of 155, and that's Khabib, it's Connor, and before Justin ran into Khabib, it was Justin. But I do think styles make fights. Justin is that next level for Connor, I think that would be a very unique challenge for Connor, just the way Justin strikes and the cardio that Justin possesses versus Connor, who's been known to gas. That is a more unique matchup to me. Same thing. Oliviera to me is right now in that upper echelon of 155. So that's why I went with it. Who do you got for number two though? For number two, this one was super easy for me. And I actually, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to save that for number one. That's my number one. Um, for number two, I'm going to go with with Rose Namajunas versus Weili Zhang. I know they're talking about not making this matchup now because, uh, in the words of Dana, Rose doesn't want the fight, um, which is a nice way of saying uh, Rose won't take the pay cut that I want to give her or uh, Rose wants a certain date and it doesn't fit with the way that I'm trying to book my pay-per-views um, or, or whatever he, he thinks is the reason. But 
Um, that fight is so intriguing to me because while people kind of wrote Rose Nami Yunus off after she got slammed and then the whole bus incident, she seemed like she wasn't going to fight again. She came back out and she avenged that loss against Jessica Andrade. She's got two wins over Ioana Janjacek. Ultimately, the only loss she has on her record since becoming, like, the best strawweight, maybe of all time, you know, once she's sort of ascended that level and beat Ioana Janjacek twice, including knocking her out, the only loss she has was kind of a freak takedown slam where she got knocked out on the slam, and I actually think she was probably winning the striking battle before that, so... You know, when you count that in as her only loss, I just think her versus, like, a a very interesting style matchup that's much, much more powerful, much, much less less technical probably than her. And I have no idea what the submission game looks like between the two of them. I think it's probably the most exciting fight you can put together in terms of the women's game right now. Um, And I just think, you know, like, I think people are a little less hyped on it because they wrote Rose off like that, but everybody's super hyped on Whaley. I think it would sell a bunch, and I think it would be very interesting stylistically. Uh, You bring up so many great points, and when I was looking to the women's side of things, I agree with you. Other than, and I would want to see it, I I could watch Valentina challenge Amanda Nunes again. I, I mean, that's, to me, actually been Amanda Nunes' best competition, but I don't think we're getting that, especially because Valentina at this point, 0-2, and, uh, and I just didn't really see many challenges for Amanda that excited me. What you just brought up, actually, you bring up so many great points, and it made me think, too. I think in our heads, we all think of Joanna was that first dominant champion of the women's strawweight, and then, of course, we saw that amazing fight that I would want to run back with her and Wei Zidong. Uh, but that being said, Rose, when you really think about it, being on that Ultimate Fighter show when the belt was created, to her two wins over J.J., uh, to how complete a mixed martial artist she is and would be so composed and calm against this new, you know, beast of a champion that looks so unstoppable. There's something to be said that this is actually Rose's division. And and, and I, it certainly looks like it's Wei Zidong's now, but I would want to see her go through Rose for me to call her like the true goat of the division i know it's a short-lived division so it's kind of weird to say goat for something that's only been around for four years but you know hey that's what we said about ronda in the early days of the 135 pound title point being everything you just said makes a ton of sense i love it and i think that's a fight that will happen we're just dana anything he said is just promoter speak for what you brought up already which is i want you to take less contract here's my number two we're going to jump up a lot in weight class and we're going to switch genders here we have heard so long about John Jones jumping up to heavyweight. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of thinking about it. So give me John Jones versus Stipe all day. And much like I did for my number three, and I'm going to do for my number one, it's not even so much about this specific matchup. It's more the concept of Jones at heavyweight. So if you don't want to give him a title shot off the bat, for whatever reason, fine. Give me Jones versus Naganu, And I can see how Jones, who much like GSP, is such a complete mixed martial artist and always has the best game plans for people and attacks them at their weaknesses and all the rest. Let me see how Jones deals with the size and power of Naganu. That would fascinate me. But bottom line, my number two is John Jones at heavyweight versus Stipe or Naganu. So I'm going to be really upset here as I respond to yours because what I was just about to put as number two and then pivoted and put it number one, which I'm now going to call an audible about so we don't talk about again. 
I, I had Jones versus Nagano. Jones versus Nagano is the most exciting fight that could happen. I hear what everybody's saying about wanting Jones versus Stipe, and, and you're right. It is, it's more interesting because of what would be on the line. But tell me if you stripped the title away from both of those fights, right? Like if you said, you know, say Stipe was fighting Nagano, and you're like, the winner gets John Jones. You have your choice. Who would you rather see win and fight John Jones? You know the answer to that question right now. You may love Stipe Miocic, but deep down inside, you want to watch Francis Nagano versus John Jones because it's a question he's never answered, right? Like, has John Jones ever answered the question of whether or not he can take a punch from one of the meanest punching dudes on the freaking planet? The dude set Alistar Overeem's head into orbit. Like, there's no reason to think that John Jones has ever seen anybody remotely like that. And for that reason, that's what I want to see next. Um, so I totally agree with you on this one. Jones at heavyweight is crazy intriguing. There's so many good matchups. And, and you know, for all it's worth, him versus Curtis Blades would be fun as hell, too. Right? Like, <laughs> Cur- Curtis Blades yeah. is a damn wrestling machine. And, like, could John Jones stop that? Yeah, he's got good wrestling. But, like, do we know what heavyweight John Jones can stop and what it can't stop? Because the answer might be he can't stop Curtis Blades' wrestling because turns out it's pretty fucking mean. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you on this one. Jones at heavyweight was going to be my number one pick. I'm going to pivot and pick something more fun now when we get to me, but I totally agree with your number two. All right, awesome. Well, I can kick off uh, the next one while you think about it for a second, kind of get your ducks back in a row. And, again, I'm going more concept, and here's where I'm coming from. All right, my number one is, I think we have one more Khabib fight. That's what Dana White hints at. I thought the retirement was a little premature. I followed this man's career, obviously, from when he came into the UFC. I totally get where he's coming from, you know, in the post-death of his father. I think his dad would actually want him to fight one more time. What the fuck do I know? I'm just speaking out of my ass here. I think they can arrange it where he fights one more time. And he's actually honoring a legacy, not dishonoring it. And he seems open to know that no retirements in MMA are ever actually real. So if we only have one more Habib fight, we need to make it the most worthwhile thing that we can. And I've talked about this on the show for a number of years. I think we've seen Habib cut a massive amount of weight. He is a refrigerator at 155. He's just bigger, stronger, his bones, his chin – the man is a giant at 155. I think he cuts down from like 200, if not 205, if I'm not mistaken. And you've heard DC and Rockhold say he holds his own with people their size. So I have always wanted Habib to go up to 170. And I always talked about him versus GSP just to see how GSP would approach it. I think he would negate some of the wrestling. I think he would be tough enough to withstand some of the ground and pound if Habib were to get on top. And I really like GSP's jab against Habib. All being said, GSP's too old. So where do I go now? Well, I've talked about this on the show for a while. I want Habib versus Kamara Usman. I want someone who does what Habib does with the wrestling and the takedowns and the top pressure. And I want it to be someone bigger. You know, I don't have any interest in someone from 145 coming up to fight Habib. I don't really have interest in anyone at 155 fighting Habib. Other than Oliveira, but that's not epic enough to me for this last fight. So they have the same manager. This isn't going to happen. But again, I'm talking about concepts, not so much one-to-one fights. So if you don't give me Usman 
and you can't give me GSP, I would even take Colby Covington. I would take the wrestling and cardio of Colby Covington at 170 against Habib and just watch the fucking fireworks fly. Uh, that fight to me, and I know maybe some people think it's a little disappointing because it's Colby Covington. He, he hasn't had a finish in a long time. But the puzzle piece of, of MMA, I think he presents a unique challenge because Habib does tire, Colby doesn't tire, the wrestling might cancel each other out, and Colby does have pretty good striking. So that's my number one. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, and as you were talking about GSP and Usman, I, I felt like you were going to stop there, and I was actually going to add Colby to that equation because, you, you know, we, we so often, like, we write people off in MMA, and I'm, you know, notoriously not a Colby Covington fan. I don't love the antics. Um, I don't love the trash talk. I, I don't love all of that stuff. So I'm notoriously not a Colby Covington fan, but he certainly fits in that equation when you talk about people like Usman, right? Like he did the same exact thing to a lot of the same exact fighters as Usman did. And then he survived to the fifth round with Usman, right? In a what was pretty close fight, right? Like he was probably a round off from winning that fight. Um, he was obviously losing the fifth and probably going to lose a decision before he got finished anyway, but he deserves to be in that same conversation. So again, sort of like when you were talking about John Jones in, in, in Stipe or John Jones and Naganu, I think if you change what the, where the belt is in that equation, right? Like if the belt was around Colby's waist, I don't think it's any less exciting than if the belt was around Kamaru's waist, right? Like it's the same kind of fight. We're still asking the same kind of questions and that's what makes it fun. You're right. Uh, an in his prime GSP would be fun, but either of those two, uh, especially with a belt on the line, would be more um, would be equally as exciting. In it to win it, buddy. Who's your number one? Let's hear it. Ah, God. I, so I've gone through a bunch of these. I didn't want to cap it off with one uh, that is already booked or said to be booked. Um, so I'm going to go back to somebody we already talked about. I'm going to talk about John Jones versus Israel Adesanya because right now Israel Adesanya, in my opinion, may be the biggest star in the sport right now in terms of what he's doing in the cage, in terms of the way he commands social media, the different demographics he hits too, because he is he is not just your typical meat and potatoes American wrestler appeals to that base. He appeals to a very wide selection of a lot of different cultures and continents. And, and, you know, I mean, he's born in Africa, raised in New Zealand, um, but appeals to an American audience as well because he's obviously very, very well spoken. Um, the, there's a whole different side of him that's into like style and music and dance and stuff like that, which obviously appeals to a very different audience than MMA typically does. I think him being as massive as a star as he is, against the guy who a lot of us believe is the greatest fighter of all time. I, I mean, really, it, a win over John Jones, if he were to go up to 205 and beat John Jones, we might be talking about Israel Adesanya as the greatest fighter ever, right? Like, he would have wins over Anderson Silva and John Jones, and granted, a slightly aged Anderson Silva, at that point, he wasn't all the way down the mountain, but he was certainly on his way down. But we would be talking about somebody who has a win over those two people, which literally nobody can say because only one person has ever beat John Jones, and that's Matt Hamill by taking a forearm strategic or an elbow strategically across his nose. So, like, for that reason, 
I think, yeah, like, that's probably one of the biggest fights you can make. I'd be so interested if John Jones even tried to wrestle him, because wrestling him doesn't seem to be working all that well for a lot of guys. I would be interesting to see how the striking plays out, because I actually think Ijezanya is a little bit smoother of a striker. He's definitely more aggressive. He's got that, like, early John Jones feel to him. I, I just think that's probably, and, and I, I feel weak for having not had that originally on my top three because I was going to go Naganu versus Jones at the top, but I'm glad you picked it now because it opened up the ability to talk about this one because, you know, it, it, for what it's worth, I think Israel Adesanya is one of the more intriguing puzzles right now, and while I don't like division change fights, his division is kind of without a fresh and exciting challenger right now, so, you know. Well, this is... Go ahead, finish. Yeah, I mean, like, he's without a new and exciting challenger, right? Like, he's going to fight Robert Whitaker, right? Like, and, and that's exciting, maybe not exciting. Like, he blasted him once already. We're probably going to wait and see if Jack Hermanson or Darren Till can step up. But, you know, Till just lost to Whitaker. So, like, he's not getting that shot yet. So, I think there are exciting options that, like, just need some time to play out. So, while I don't like the division change aspect of it, I do think he needs to let some challengers arrive, and this would be a good fight to let it happen. Well, I you said you were glad I had Jones on the list. I'm glad you had Izzy on the list, and you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I wanted to get Izzy on the list, but there just wasn't anything that really excited me at his actual division. I thought about saying him versus Jones, but eh, I actually rather see Jones go up to heavyweight at this point. I also like the idea of even just like an intriguing striker matchup of a Wonder Boy coming up to 185 or even like a Jorge Masvidal versus Izzy. But I do think the money fight, it would be an Izzy versus Jones. So I'm so glad you said it. I'm so glad we did this, Gumby. I hope the fans at home enjoyed it. We want to hear from you. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? Hit us up on our Twitter. Tell us some of your ideas. We're accepting both love and hate feedback, so feel free to just burn ours. Gumby, that's all I got for this week. Why don't you wrap up this bad boy? Tell the people what they need to know. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our sponsors, Maroon Social, ProPay Sports Metrics, and RespectTheTap.com. We want to thank the mothership, Flow Combat, for having our home and having our backs. And we want to remind you guys to check us out on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, and... On Instagram, same thing, at Top Turtle MMA. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeman. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll see you then.